0: are powering our modern world and have changed nearly everything about how we live. How we connect socially, how we shop online, and how we run our businesses. Because apps are the connectors between users and organizations, they collect data valuable to attackers. And that makes them the number one target. I'm Sarah Body, Director of F5 Labs.
1: And I'm Ray Pompon, Principal
2: Threat Researcher at F5 Labs. And I'm Sandra Vinberg, Threat Researcher at F5 Labs.
0: F5 Labs continually studies how applications are being targeted and breached. Welcome to the next set of podcasts in our Application Protection Research Series, where we cover what we have learned in the past year. Well, hello everybody. Thank you for joining us and coming back to the next podcast in our Application Protection Research Series. And we are going to be talking about access attacks. Um, I think this one is going to be very interesting. It's it's actually pretty exciting. I think access attacks kind of hit home to everybody. They actually touch everybody. Um, but but access attacks, there's a lot to it. So, Ray, can you break it down for us? Can you unpack this?
1: Sure. When we say access, we're talking about access control, access credentials. And, and this is our number one most common cause of breach, 47% of breaches. And, and we're talking about, you know, this is targeting the vendors or, or areas of finance, health, education, nonprofit, and accounting. So if you're in those spaces, you're, you're a hot target for access attacks. Now, when we say this, you know, people get confused. What do you mean by that? It's a lots of different things. And remember, we're, we're looking at breach records. We're looking at those, actual reading the text of them. And they say lots of different things. And so... We started to put them all together into access attacks because it was all about access control. So one of the common themes we saw was access to email. Somehow an attacker got access to email. So that could be through phishing or stolen password. And that was our first big bucket of 20%. The next or
0: stolen password through phishing. Right, right. <laughs> right.
1: And and But literally in the letter it just said, like, yeah. you know, attacker gained access to our email. The next one down just slightly be, below that was 19% which they actually said um, it was a phishing attack that got access to email. And then um, at 4%, we had stolen credentials. They actually mentioned like our credentials were stolen and they got access to some sort of app. Um, like when you go back to the actual industry sectors and you, know, you can see like in, in accounting, there's often large tax applications or finance, business applications and health. It's often email, but stolen credentials. And then uh, credential stuffing which you know, we've talked about before, but, you know, again, this is where they steal your, your login from somewhere else, usually your email address and your password, and they try it and see where they get in. Um, we'll look at that a little bit more as we go on here. Um, they actually, some places, they even said, oh, this was an efficient attempt to steal credentials, so not necessarily email, but they actually just said, you know, to steal emails. Um, then there's the various types of social engineering, Um, And that can be both via email, which really, you know, how is that different from phishing? But that's actually how it was called in the breach letter. So that's how we broke it out. Um, Brute force attacks, that's actually, only came in at like 0.4%. So Um, when we look at our cert data, we see a ton of brute forcing, but not a lot of success. But it actually has other implications, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. And then some of these uh, credentials stolen from third party, and that's literally all it said, but... Um, you can see a lot of that where like, you know, you've given login credentials to somebody else or a vendor has access and then they've they've mishandled it and they, they get in. So all this bundles up into, you know, a bad guy can now impersonate you perfectly into the app. They have your login ID and password. And that's what makes them kind of nasty because, you know, as far as your app is concerned, it's you logging in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your logging is like it's you logging in. It, it just looks normal. And so and they have all the access you have. So it's, it's very hard to detect if you're not doing some sort of um, you know, bot analysis or additional authentication analysis on the very front end.
0: I mean, I think in general, um, access attacks is a large bucket that has all these possibilities in it. And one of the common themes is like, we think it's this, we think it's that, some of it is phishing, but a lot of it comes down to proper logging and monitoring of access, tax, access attacks in general, and being able to really actually prove what happened, right? They got our credentials somehow. They got into our email somehow.
1: Right, right. Um, we'll get into a little bit this towards the end about what you should do about it. But a lot of these are, we don't know. They had access to this email box. There was confidential information in the email box, a lot of health records. Mm-hmm. So hospitals and medical professionals see this. And it's like, we don't know if they got them, but we're just going to have to assume and send out the breach notification. There are a few of these where actually we read through, actually more than a few, where they actually use the account to do additional phishing. So they may compromise some level of employee, and then use that to fish the rest of the employees because you know mm-hmm. you look like them, or mm-hmm. to fish customers, mm-hmm. which is really powerful fraud technique because it's you know you actually see a legit email come in and ask for something. It's not, is that even phishing anymore?
0: Right, right. Yeah, let's unpack this phishing a little bit more because um, obviously it's a, it's a big trend in access attacks, and we know that um, spear phishing is part of every nation state attack plan right? It's, it's a very sophisticated attack type now. Um, if you do a targeted spear phishing attack, which is very successful at this point, based on all the data you can collect from people off of social media, the data you can buy that's been breached online, right? Um, this is a very sophisticated attack type now.
1: It, it, it's both sophisticated and it's, both, and it's easy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the APTs, or the, you know, the advanced criminals and nation states, You know, this is their first go-to thing. It's easy. It's cheap. We can do this. And if we get access, awesome, we're done. And if we don't, and then we'll
2: move on to like the zero day and the sophisticated stuff. But why not try this? It also is less time sensitive in the sense that there's nothing to patch, right? Like unlike a zero day where you kind of have to, an attacker needs to exploit this quickly or else someone else is going to, a researcher is going to find it and publish it and it's all thing. A spear phishing attack is never going away. You know, even if your target, for whatever reason, leaves the organization, you just choose another one and mm-hmm. you just collect the information all over again. So it's it's <clears throat> unlimited in time. There's an extraordinary ma- amount of detail out there. And, and so it's when you look at it from that standpoint, it's kind of clear why they keep turning to this as a tech as a tactic.
0: Well, consumers in general are not backing away from the information they share publicly, right? Right. right. So it's this. That's another reason why it's not going to go away, right? It becomes easier and easier. Yeah. And it's it's a part of every APT's attack plan. Mm-hmm. A critical part.
1: Yeah, like it's, it's the the low hanging fruit. Try it. Does it work?
0: Okay. Right, and what we said in a prior podcast, um, we did a report last holiday season around phishing and fraud, and, and, right. and we right. We We published stats that said 33% success rate if you don't do security awareness training on fishing and 11% if you do security awareness training 10 times.
1: And we actually even saw that there's a fishing season that Mm -hmm. ramps up during the holidays, holiday shopping season. It's a
0: year-round sport, but obviously it's easier to trick somebody over the holidays. And fishers
1: seem to take the summer off. It it drops down a little bit during the summer.
0: Right. Ooh, that's a good idea. We'll start looking at it geographically and see what the fishing seasons are, region to region. (laughs) I just made up a new research series for you guys. <laughs> I promise we'll do it. I promise. <laughs> okay. So, um, fishing I, to me, it's, it's such a hot topic. It, it's a big challenge for organizations to, um, you know, train employees and put controls in place to protect themselves from phishing. Um, is there anything else anecdotally we want to say before we move on to the next attack type?
1: Well, it's, there's phishing kits out there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's as it's, it's easy as anything now. I mean, one of the things we found when we were doing our phishing research in our last report, the, the phishing fraud report, that um, they're, they're impersonating live emails. It's not just like you're seeing, you know, the old, I'm going to say the old misspellings on the Angel Fire website oh, yeah. with the pop-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Now it legitimately looks like you're getting something from Google or Microsoft mm-hmm. or Amazon. Mm-hmm. They actually take the real email and just swap in their code
0: yeah and when you get a phishing email it's three times more likely to push you to a malicious link than it is for somebody to download an attachment right, right. attackers got smarter obviously right. good av detection right. and malware detection on desktops you're gonna you're gonna send somebody to a link um and when we looked at this 93 percent of the phishing domains had a ssl cert you know so they were doing the whole HTTPS right. thing so and impersonating the user they look completely legit and so when you combine the availability of data to target somebody with how well you can impersonate you know, your target, mm-hmm. it's very hard for people to detect. So again, back to the 11%, even if you do 10 security awareness trainings, you're still gonna have that risk. Okay, um, we just scared everybody with phishing. At the end of the podcast, we have some suggestions. So let's get into um, brute forcing. Why are we still talking about brute forcing?
1: Um, when we talk to the CERT, this is something that they bring up over and over again. The F5 CERT. So this is our, our incident response that customers are calling in, and they see a lot of it. They see a lot. I mean, we we got a lot of statistics around that. Um, they see um, it's not a lot of success there, but they see a lot of load. They see you know sites slowing down. They see. Um, people complain that customers can't access. And then when they start doing their incident response, they find, oh, you're actually under a brute force attack or you're under a credential stuffing attack. Mm-hmm. And in some, some customers' case, um, like with cloud customers or any kind of, you know, rented pay-by-the-pound pay the usage, they're actually paying to shun these attacks. because Even though, you know, thousands of login attempts are all failing, you're still paying for all that compute time yep. to, to just deal with it. And so, you know, we found actually as you scrape that stuff off, and finding out that that's like 30% of your, your login traffic is all bots trying to do brute force, that you're actually, your cost levels go down.
0: Yeah. Is it surprising to you, though, that we're still talking about brute forcing? Like, I guess I'm just thinking out into our friends in the security space. Like, who's not covering brute force attacks? Like, that's, I, I it brings think, me back to the SQL injection thing. It's like, why is this still a problem?
2: I, I think it's partly a problem because the there are, so many, like, as users, we have so many accounts now. It's like, if you think of it, it's like, yeah, every every utility you got has a unique combo, hopefully unique password username combo, maybe not.
0: We know people don't do right. that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So it's like, you, I, I, I don't remember exactly what the figure was, but it's something like 150 to 200 accounts that people have to manage, which means that you're either using a password manager or you have something, some very stupid passwords, or you're just reusing three or four.
0: So operators aren't implementing brute force restrictions because they know to lock people out of their accounts because they forget them or...
2: and But also just that I think because there are so many accounts, the likelihood of, of reuse is very high. And then there are so many... Uh, well, I, I guess this is more of, more of a cred-stuffing thing, but um, it also sort of opens up for, for dictionary attacks. Like there are so many breach databases out there there are so many combos out there, and so um, I think it represents a, like a pretty low-cost attack for attackers. Um, and so even if the the yield rate is pretty low, it's it's always it's kind of similar to fishing, right? It's worth a shot. Mm-hmm. You might get the keys of the kingdom, and so I I think that's a a big part of it.
0: Yeah, I think what was interesting is that it showed up as a very small percentage in the root cause of breaches, but it was a high percentage of the attacks that um, we know customers deal with on a regular basis. And so um, brute force is really important to consider when you're trying to block access attacks. But the other piece of it is is just the latency it causes your application and, and uh, locking customers out.
1: And there's flavors of brute force. I mean, you know, you've heard things like password spray yeah. where they're trying some common password. So it's, you know, it's a flavor of brute force. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and there's lots of password, common password lists out there. I mean, you know, our other
2: report research series on IOT is all about just default creds. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was one thing that the CERT told us that I thought was was really interesting, which was that um, there are three verticals, public, sector, finance, and healthcare, that were disproportionately more likely to be targeted by this. And so it's like the public sector is at of 50% of... of um, of attacks that they were reporting were brute force and finance was at 47 and then healthcare was at 41 and then every the next one up is 27 which is the education sector and so there's kind of again like we'd need to dig in a little bit more and and see if we could figure out exactly what the patterns and what the reasons are there but um there are some verticals that are being really heavily targeted by this tactic and then there's some where it's just kind of i would say kind of back to background radiation
0: is that linking back to the um, breach root causes that we saw where some of those verticals, did you say finance, um, mm-hmm. are going to be better at web app security? So they're going to try to get in through an access vector and they're right. going to try to brute force somebody's Absolutely. account. And that makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, like attackers do what works, yep. right? It's really that simple.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, all, it, and, it's,
0: and it's a money game, yeah. right?
2: And all three of these are the same verticals that were in the access mm-hmm. attack profile. Yeah. So it's not super surprising. We sort of understand that the way that their business model works means that this is, this is very likely. But the fact that these three were so much more than others in terms of these, these attacks, I think that merits a little bit more investigation.
0: Yeah. All right, what about email attacks?
2: So I really wanted
1: to dive a little deeper into email attacks because, you know both brute force and phishing really hits on email. And as, as we read through these letters and letter after letter, you would see um, people are still storing confidential data in email. Um, and health records, so... so Do you,
0: you don't see that changing.
1: I don't. I. I you know. <laughs>
0: no. I think it gets worse. Yeah. I the think, more remote people are, and it.
1: Right. Well, what we're seeing is more and more email systems are available online with mm-hmm. Outlook Web Access and various web. I mean, mail. you need
0: constant connectivity wherever you're at, whether that's an airport or right conference or whatever. And
2: exactly. There and there are a lot of people I think who use email as basically searchable cloud storage. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. You yep. know? Yes. Yeah. So it's like, oh, my, my, my front door key code or whatever it is, it just changed. <laughs> I'm going to just email myself so I can find it again. So I think that's, that's part of it.
1: Yes. Uh, and yeah. emails are, I mean, as we've seen just over the past few years are the gateway to other systems as well. Mm-hmm. Cause it's often, that's the second factor in a lot of login systems. Oh, mm-hmm. we'll send your password, start the email. So and it's reset like, to my yeah, email. Yeah. So grab this, us just pop their email. And now I've got access to their bank accounts and to the utility accounts and things like that and then like i was saying earlier people are using it as a as a foothold and to pivot and go i've got control of somebody in the company's email i can now use that to fish other employees and escalate my access or i can fish other customers and start doing fraud or i can um, there's been cases where it's like i'm using that email to now ask hey can you guys send me your w-2s or, you know, business email compromise, which is a whole area of fraud that's gigantic. I mean, the FBI talks about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Because once you get in there, you can start asking people for things, you can start pushing invoices and things like that. I mean, it essentially is your identity, and people see that. And so it's, it's a hot target.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. And who's ever been in the pain recently of trying to get access to like a Gmail account or whatever they forgot the password to, you You get into purgatory for like three days. I mean, Mm -hmm. the major mail providers realize how much of a, how much of a threat this is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So we talked about ABTs a little bit, but I want to expand more on who is doing these email types of attacks.
1: Oh yeah. So like I was saying, that's sort of like the go-to for a lot of the, the advanced attackers. It's like, you know, we can, if
0: ABTs are using this as an attack vector, it's because it works. Yes. Right. And yes. criminals always follow suit. Right. Well, they're doing it now. Yes. <laughs> and have been.
1: <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that we talked about, too, is like, you know, you look at the brute forcing and things like that. And, um, and this is where you're going to see more of the low and slow. This is where you're going to see the, the diverse IPs and, and taking more advantage of, like, you know, staying below logging and not being so obvious about breaking in. And even some of the, I don't even want to say it's advanced, but like medium PTs or something where, you know, we've worked on cases at F5 where you have an attacker is trying to, to do some brute forcing or, or credit stuffing and we block, block them out because you know they're pretty obvious and then they'll come back later and they'll be a little more tuned mm. and be like, okay, now we're coming from a different set of IPs at a different speed in a different way. And then you block that out and then it's sort of like this back and forth battle game. And so, you know, you can see where they're, they're putting their energies because they know this stuff works.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting, though, that some of the most basic attacks are the hardest to defend against.
1: Yes, yes. And then, on, yeah, on the other side, you just see criminals just like, hey, you know, we've got another cred stuff, and I've just, you know, I'll have just, download this database and these
2: passwords, and I'm just going to spray it out there into my bots. Mm-hmm. I think one important difference when we consider sort of the cybercrime world versus the APTs is that um, an APT threat, in this case we're mostly talking about espionage scenarios as opposed to like a warfare scenario um they ev- not every operation not every intrusion needs to necessarily yield something valuable right a cyber criminal is like every time you go in you're taking a lot of risk you want to get something out of it right but and you get got paid Right, whereas an APT can afford to to take their sweet time, right? Every little datum that they get that they can add to an intelligence profile on mm-hmm. a specific target or a set of targets or whatever. That's all good, right? And and so yeah, I, even just the address book would be valuable. Absolutely, yeah. And mm-hmm. and so they can they can take their time and put together a very complex puzzle over a series of spear phishing campaigns and it's all valuable to them. They don't have this pressure to sort of get value out of every single intrusion. I think that's a big difference. And I think that allows them, that's kind of behind the scenes, a driver in the sophistication that you see in APT style spear phishing campaigns.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And from a defender side, doing your risk profile of what's valuable to the average cyber criminal versus an APT is is a very important exercise. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Okay, great. Let's get into some of the defenses.
1: So one of the things we we always say, and, and we, we don't want to harp on this again, other than to say, yeah, two-factor, multi-factor is the way to go. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. But we realize that that's hard. That's expensive. Your users don't like it. I hear it from my wife all the time about what a pain it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, executives yeah. Yeah. I hate it the most. And yeah. The, yeah, doctors. So, yeah. Admins and executives
0: yeah. the, are the number one targets.
1: Right. And they, they live in their email. They yep. live with their, I mean, mm-hmm. and they, they'll have a simple password because they don't have time. So don't
0: stop a senior person from communicating on the weekend because of two factor. Right. And they happen to,
1: <laughs> they happen to be in, in, you know, traveling in China that week. Right. They, so,
0: But so, you want to just turn their phone off, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, we really looked at, okay, so what else can we tell people? What What can we, you know, some better ideas to think about?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, the The first that I would say is, is just, You know if 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 we look at access attacks regardless of the technical tactic that they're taking it's either focusing on the human being in one form or another of social engineering or it's focusing on the system in the case of of like brute force and cred stuffing in either case there's a strong justification to be made for just more monitoring more logging and then once you have that in place, also actually reviewing those logs, which is it, it sounds really simple. But we've seen a lot of organizations where it's been years since anybody actually looked at any logs. Well, right?
1: And say so that's what we're hearing from the cert. It's like, hey, everything's running slow. Hey, you're under a brute force attack. Oh, have you looked at your logs? Oh. Uh, yeah, the logs. I forget <laughs> about those. Which is interesting
0: those. because it's, they're expensive to keep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and when we talk about logging, especially in regards to email, I mean, it's not just like, I mean, yeah, it's great. Get who logged in and from where. But get more detail because oftentimes these attackers, one of the first things they'll do is they'll set up mail forwarding so that all your email is going somewhere else, especially on the APT side. So you don't even know it. Your, your, your box right. has been compromised and they've been reading your email. Does your logging system have that ability to know that they've done that? Does your logging system know what they've sent out off? out of the mailbox because they'll go in and find all the, the information and mail it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Does your logging system have the capability to see what emails they've touched? Otherwise, you're going to have to go through the whole mailbox and say everything in here was potentially breached. Right. And I say, you know, go to your vendors, check your settings, and then actually go in and make sure that, and mean, look at the logs, see, did you know, do
2: those things and see if they're actually logged. Yeah. And, and you just hit on on something Uh, which I think is important, which is that even if the logging doesn't necessarily prevent an attack or prevent a breach, it will at the very least help in the forensics afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I I realize that's sort of a, a, a cold comfort in the context of just having been breached, but at least you can sort of find out. What went wrong you do not
0: want to be stuck in an incident response scenario and have no ability to conduct an right. investigation absolutely yeah. Yeah.
1: and you don't want to get on having to tell people like we don't know how they yeah. got in or what they did uh, yeah
0: you cannot say that yeah. to an executive in a breach right i don't know or not words you should say
1: yeah <laughs> i agree and then okay you know and then defending yourself against access attacks i think we had a lot of really interesting ideas in there
2: yeah, I mean, um this this goes back to to something you've been talking about for a long time, Ray. Is, I mean, a lot of folks have have pitched these ideas like the tar pit throttling traffic on suspicious behavior, mm-hmm. um, throwing up captchas in the event that you see authentication attempts that that don't necessarily fit the common pattern.
1: And there's a lot of tools out there that offer yeah, that. Now. Absolutely. We a used that to make laughs. our own in the old days, but Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, these capabilities are there. More often, I feel like you see folks that didn't turn them on. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of capabilities out there because these are not new attacks. There are a lot of capabilities, a lot of controls in place that folks just don't necessarily always turn on.
0: Well, we know there's capture solving going on out there. But I think part of the point is just multiple layers of controls and attackers needing to be cost effective. Mm -hmm. And you put in one roadblock, two roadblocks, they're moving on. Right. Well, and
1: some of the simple things, you know, this goes back to the old days, too, because it, it was something we used to do back in even the Novell and Unix days. Everybody remember Novell Network? <laughs> um, we used to actually test our own passwords against just the common, you know, are you using one, two, three, four, five? Let's check every single person nope. in the organization. Are you using, you know, winter 19? The, the company
0: name plus.
1: Yeah, plus one, two, three or something like that. Can you, you know, there are now tools available to do that. Some of them are actually built into the cloud provider. So when you're set up with your credentials, you can actually just have your users immediately get the feedback. Like, hey, you used a compromised password or you've used an obviously bad password. And some of them are actually doing snap-ins to actually... Test to the credential stuffing breach databases that we have out there. Which is a
0: really great opportunity for security awareness training for your employees. If you're actually giving them feedback as to why that password was not allowed to be used, that's a perfect way to train them.
2: Right. As opposed to just slapping them on the wrist because they didn't follow your arbitrary
0: Right, guidelines. explaining to them yeah. why.
1: Right, and speaking of the arbitrary guidelines, NIST has come forward with with a new set of, of guidelines around passwords because it used to be like, yeah, rotate your passwords every sixty or ninety days, which were based in the olden days when people used to actually use password crackers, which no one does anymore because mm-hmm. um, they either use a rainbow table and get them all in one big shot, mm-hmm. or or not mm-hmm. at all and just fish them. So it's more about like, hey, have your users create meaningfully, meaningful meaningful. Long, complicated mm-hmm. passwords, and let them keep it for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. We need a round of round of applause for that. I think the ninety day <laughs> expiration is like the yeah. bane of every security ops oh, I've actually For network admin, like it's. I've worked in organizations
1: where
2: we were on a forty two day rotation. And
0: when does your MFA not work when your ninety day expiration is up?
2: Yes, yeah, they somehow <laughs> line up perfectly.
0: Yeah, somehow, magically.
2: Yeah, I mean, the very first thing that that NIST put in these authentication guidelines is just make your password policies user friendly and i think that that if everybody did this it would represent like a huge leap forward in access controls into the present cuz there's a lot of these principles that we've sort of adapted from a threat landscape that is like
0: mm-hmm. 10 to
2: 15 years out of date mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and the tactics are changing but we're still doing clinging. the same old yeah, stuff that yeah. keeps failing by the absolutely. way absolutely so we need
0: some Reinvention.
2: Yeah, I thought this was a, a very sort of forward-thinking thing that NIST published.
0: Yeah, we need the rest of the um, security frameworks to follow along.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Compliance, specifically yes. the
0: compliance.
1: It, it's to the point where like, you could the look teeth. at who's, who's under what compliance regime and go, okay, I know their mm-hmm. password scheme probably mm-hmm. looks like
0: this. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of people that know that the 90-day the expiration thing is, is not the best way to go about it, but they have no choice. Right. They have to stick with it.
2: Troy Hunt actually had a funny thing a little while ago where he was saying that you can look... You could look at someone's password if you were to 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 look at a breach database and look at the policy, the password policy for the organization they work at, and you can use that to back calculate how long they've been at the company because of the number of increments that they would like. Pass password seventy two. Yeah, they've been there for seventy two months, like seventy two times the thirty day rotation policy or whatever, which I think is. Yeah, back to your
0: point, don't allow those kind of.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um hopefully we get to a point soon globally where people are not forced to change their passwords so much because the human element of this is repeating passwords everywhere too. And that's, right. that's a huge component of it too. Right. Um, a couple of years ago, we did a report on breach trends and we published that um, attacker's rainbow tables of passwords and hashes is over a trillion records yeah and the more you force people to create new passwords and breaches are still a daily occurrence we're just feeding those to the point where using them in passwords we consider to be public so right yeah reducing the amount of passwords that are new passwords that are created um and reducing the amount of times people have to reset them and increasing complexity is is very important moving forward for sure
2: yeah
0: Um, I know we wanted to get into session cookies too, as another element of this.
2: Yeah, there there are some tools out there that are that are essentially using one form or another of of sort of obscured or, or back end tools to manage identity and, and manage authentication and, and session tokens and, and similar sorts of things. Are not a silver bullet, but they they are just one more sort of control that's that's going to help against session hijacking, similar kinds of attacks, which which are not necessarily things that we're seeing a ton in the breaches, but we know that these are techniques that people use in access attacks. And so there are some capabilities there. Some of them are a little bit so unproven. Some of them are tied into existing tools, like it might be on your WAF, it might be on other networking tools, but we wanted to call it out as kind of a class of controls that we feel is like a little bit underutilized in the industry at the moment, similar yeah. to a lot of this stuff, similar to logging and... and A lot of these issues. I was going
1: to say, like, and watching the full authentication, I mean, we're starting to see now tools and and techniques around the whole concept of like, well, it's not just you log in and you're done. It's like you log in to these things and you do these things, but now you're going to go do something that's a little more sensitive, touch these particular apps and this data. Let's look at some additional authentication
2: or let's look at a little more scrutiny about you.
0: Mm -hmm. And permission auditing on a regular basis. Right. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah, permissions is actually like it's an entirely.
0: We're getting back to AAA.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing is when people think about access control, they
1: think entirely about authentication, not authorization.
0: Mm-hmm. And accounting.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just like, well, yeah, they got in, but then they have access to all these other things. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get into that in the next podcast about exactly. API attacks, because yeah. yeah. excessive yes. privileges is a big exactly. piece. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, great. Um, to summarize up kind of the, the main points that we talked about and like the defenses that we're encouraging everybody um, to implement in terms of preventing access attacks is, it's back to the basics with MFA, but we don't want to just keep talking about MFA. But obviously, that's a very critical control that every organization really needs, because... Again, you're not going to be able to prevent all phishing attacks, and it's a really great um, gap control. Um, But also just getting your monitoring and logging in place. You don't want to be in a situation where an access attack occurs, and you can't either um, detect the fact that it's happening, or if it does actually happen, you can't really figure out exactly what happened, right? Um, Security awareness training, I think that's a common theme. We've talked about that in every type of attack and every type of breach, right? Um, And then just kind of getting your passwords under control. And looking at some of the new things with session cookies and maybe using CAPTCHA solvers, right? Mm -hmm. You have to look at access attacks as a holistic thing. Um, Basic attacks, hard to prevent.
1: Yes, yes. Um, One of the things I think we really want to talk about, too, is the the dichotomy and the struggle
2: about access
1: versus usability.
2: Right. Yeah, I, I... other than the fact that this is the single most likely way that any organization is going to be breached or sorry any non e-commerce organization is going to be breached the reason why they're so interesting is is that a lot of the traditional controls that people would use against these kinds of attacks also end up inconveniencing the user right these are these are ones where well
0: that's why the defense is more difficult
2: right so the or, the organization the defender needs to choose between availability and confidentiality and which means that you're going to, you're going to make the user upset one way or another. You're either going to lock them out or throttle their traffic if it, or something like that, or you're going to be breached. And, and so it really forces organizations to kind of deal with this tension and sort of confront this tension on a very practical level. And, Mm. and because of that, it also sort of like, it, it strikes at the entire value proposition of the internet and, putting your business up on the internet because you have to sort of deal with this tension. And you think like, is it?
0: Consumers will leave you over availability and not a breach.
2: Right. Which that's a sad reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, it in terms of trying to put some level of monetary value on all forms of risk, it's like you're sort of screwed either way. Right. It's like you either make access onerous through multi-factor. People, or, processes, and technology. Yeah. So yeah. it's like if, if you whitelist everybody, you're going to make people upset. And if you throttle traffic, you're going to make people upset. But if you get breached, you're going to lose money. And so so I, I think this is a tension that's never really going to go away in the same way that the the risks and the, the vulnerability that people represent is never going to go away. This tension between availability and security is never going to go away. And so whatever form that access control takes in the future this tension is always going to be there. And so I, I think it makes it a particularly interesting study.
0: Yeah, it is. And I think it's just level setting from a security op standpoint is that, you know, you have to deal with access attacks in, in multiple ways and it has to be a prioritized party security program and it takes time, right? Absolutely. It and takes dollars out of your budget and it takes time away from your security team. But it's it's an absolutely critical component of, you know, managing enterprise risk.
1: And I can say, and if you're gonna have to lock people out, fail gracefully. Yeah. Give them a number to call or something mm-hmm. they can do to mm-hmm. get back in. Because there's been a number of times I've been locked out of a of a system and there's like, there's nothing you can do.
0: Oh, security professionals can't stand it. <laughs> Every yeah. time I get locked out, I'm like, dang yeah. it.
1: Well, I mean, there's certain businesses and things where it's like, you know, it's not in their business to even offer you any way back in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because it's a
2: semi-free service or something like that. So if you're locked out, you're locked out.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, I got locked out of a of a... Financial application for transferring money around um, because I had to reset my password on my phone when I was away from home and it triggered some sort of behavioral alert and they said I had to send a photograph of my driver's license with me next to my driver's license in to get my account unlocked and I was like I'm just not going to do that I'm not going to give you guys more
0: give up and move on
2: I'm not going to give you more PII Mm. in order to unlock my account and so essentially like I was an example of this sort of Mm -hmm. this choice between security and availability and they were like okay we're going to throttle availability to this user they made the wrong call because i was a legit user and i was just trying to do my thing but how are they going to know that right and so well i mean i mean yeah my, my problem wasn't with their behavioral policy my problem was that they needed more PII for me in order to unlock my account which is something that I as far as I'm aware never consented to and so I just decided to walk away from that platform completely so they lost a user over it so I had almost exact same thing happen except for they were like I had
1: to go into a physical location of the bank to verify myself to do a credit card app and I'm like I'm done yep it's just not not worth it And because their own procedures failed to verify me
0: All right. So it sounds like we're saying the bottom line is don't make access controls so onerous that you push away your consumers, Mm -hmm. but make availability and confidentiality equal.
1: Yeah. Or whatever works. I mean, do the analysis, work on the numbers, go back and forth. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, This is the conclusion of the Access Attack podcast as part of the Application Protection Research Series. And join us for the next on API Attacks.